1: This episode is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. Hey, welcome to Blurry Photos. I'm your host, David Flora. I've got a fun interview for you today about an area of my home state that is so full of weird happenings and tangled anomalies, it's almost too wild to believe. More on that in just a second because I have a very quick announcement, and don't skip because it may apply to you. Derek and I want to thank everyone who chipped into our second fundraiser for the documentary. We greatly appreciate the support. Thank you, guys. Now, if you donated via Zelle, please send me or Derek a message so that we can make sure to get your confirmation to you and the info about the backer rewards. This includes Anne, Heather, Myrna, Adam, Schaefer, Anthony, and Fernando. So if I just said your name and you donated to the supplemental fundraiser recently, shoot us a message on the contact page or social media so we can get you squared away. On to the interview. My guest is Nathan Isaac, host and writer of the Penny Royal Podcast, a show about the strange occurrences and coincidences in and around Somerset in Pulaski County, Kentucky. The name comes from the name of the geological region stretching west of the Appalachians, of which Nathan is a resident. After hearing about strange events and facts around Somerset, he decided to dig a little deeper. What he didn't expect was how far that rabbit hole went, and it's a hole he's still going down to this day. Some might call his findings too odd to ignore, with connections that seem more than coincidence and synchronicities abounding. Is there something extraordinary going on in Somerset, or is there a more mundane explanation, or maybe separate explanations that appear tied together through a few odd but not impossible coincidences? the penny royal podcast searches for these answers and nathan tells me about several of the weird happenings in this interview enjoy i'm joined by nathan isaac the host and writer of the penny royal podcast nathan welcome to blurry photos oh man thanks for having me on the show of course. Uh, I would like to talk about the Penny Royal podcast, uh, including where you got the idea to do this, all the stories involved with it and stuff, and uh, uh, what the process was like for you. Now, this is centered in my home state, uh, of which you are also a citizen. Uh, this is takes place in Somerset in Pulaski County, Kentucky and i will let you introduce you know yourself and and how you came about this project and stuff and we'll get into the nitty-gritty from there how's that
2: yeah that sounds great um yeah uh, i really started the project um man in earnest about 3 or 4 years ago i moved to uh somerset with my wife back in 2011 so uh we were here for for a few years She's originally from here. I'm not from here. Uh, I'm from Eastern Kentucky, a small town. What town? Uh, Salyersville. Yeah. McGoffin, McGoffin County, you know, Eastern Kentucky. Uh, yeah. Well, I've heard of both. I don't
1: know if I've ever been to either, but yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, deep, you know, deep in the mountains. Uh, uh, sure. That's where the, the phrase McGoffin County Cadillac comes from. It's the Crown Vicks. <laughs> the, the The retired police cars are called McGoffin County Cadillac. But everybody's yeah. got one. Everybody's got one, man. You never know <laughs> who's a, who's a, who's an actual cop and who's not, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so you know, I grew up there. I went to college um, in Lexington, which you're probably familiar with. Lexington, and uh, at, at Transylvania University.
1: Um, oh, okay. Oh, geez, I went to Center, where we're automatically rivals. <laughs> Dude, I
2: almost went to center. It was between the two. And, uh, Did you? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, you're you're really close to Somerset. You're only like 30 minutes north of, you know, in Danville, you know, where you went to college. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I went to school in Lexington, lived there for 12 years, never planned on moving back to a small town, right? And sure. uh, we ended up down here. And, you know, it's just one of those things that's like, ah, is there anything to do in this place? Is there anything interesting about this place? And, I've been into, um, you know, high strangeness and collecting folklore, you know, for years. You know, it's just a, one of those things that I love. And when I got down here, I started looking into um, the history of the town. i had already known after I met Amy, after I met my wife, that I was doing some research on Sedona, Arizona, and the fact that people say there are all of these, or at least this was in the 2000s, right? I think things have changed now a little bit with, with the increase in tourism. But um, at the time, um, I'd read an article saying that it was the largest number of UFO sightings per capita, you know, that, that people were just seeing all kinds of UFOs, uh, balls of light. And I, I thought, I wonder what, you know what's the core like you know why sedona you know mm-hmm. and when you look at sedona a lot of people probably already know this there's a massive amount of quartz underneath a uh, quartz deposit underneath Sedona in that desert which it's a I, I finally got to go a few years ago and it's just a f- fantastic place uh, have you ever mm-hmm. been to Sedona before it's no
1: but uh, yeah I mean the stuff we've been doing out in Anza Borrego, I'm sure is is pretty comparable yeah it's yeah. just it's strangely gorgeous and in, in a place you wouldn't expect I think
2: <laughs> yeah and then going from like snow you know all the way down <laughs> yeah. to the desert in like a few minutes is crazy but um, so anyway I was looking at that and also, I'd, I'd read that um, that there was a geomagnetic spike in the region of Sedona, so I was like, you know, I can test this out pretty easily. I can grab the um, satellite uh, data. Uh, there, NASA, the European um, uh, Space Agency, a lot of a lot of places online have these uh, KMZ files that you can drop into uh, Google Earth. And so I was like, I'm going to grab one of the geomagnetic ones. Let me see if I can test this out. And so. Um, I grabbed it, dropped it in, and sure enough, Sedona lit up. And then there's also a spot in North America in uh, southern Alaska, and then another one in the southeastern United States. And I thought, well, you know, here's a place. It's nearby. I can go see it. And I was living in Lexington at the time. And I zoom in all the way down, and it's Somerset, Kentucky, where we eventually moved to. And I find out that... This is actually called what NASA refers to it as the Kentucky anomaly, and it's the largest spike of geomagnetic energy in the northern hemisphere.
1: That the nor- the northern hemisphere. That's well, sorry, sorry. That,
2: that's that's not the northern hemisphere. the The northern western hemisphere, as far as okay. Um, where we are, you know, um, I, okay. North gotcha. America, South America. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry.
1: We really given Russia, no, 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 for no, money, no. I guess. I- <laughs> there,
2: but there are only two other, lar- two other spikes that are larger. One is in Russia and one is in China. Um, but, gotcha. okay. there, but there are no spikes in the Southern hemisphere, which is weird. Hmm. They're, they're centered. When you look at the maps, it's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, so anyway, yeah, it's North, North America. Um, the, gotcha. the these are the three spikes. So, you know, I started to wonder. You know, is that what's causing it? You know, this this idea of um, you know quartz, whenever it's hit with an intense electrical field or magnetic field, uh, it produces the piezoelectric effect. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wondered, is that what's happening? Is somehow is that affecting people's brains? And in, in Sedona specifically, at the time I was looking at it, is that why they're seeing these distortions of light? You know, what, whatever is happening. Um, but when I found out that it, that that here in Somerset, here in Pulaski County, there's the the, the largest actual anomaly in the United States, um, I thought, well, we can we can look at the people that live here and see what the effect is. You know, are there more UFO sightings? And then, in, and ultimately, we got into looking at increased levels of violence, increased levels of uh, you know mental health issues. Um, And it turned out that, that there were both increased rates and, you know, in both of those things. Um, Hmm. and that, that, you know, the level of violence here is something that was, we didn't, I didn't plan to find at all. You know, it wasn't something I was even thinking about. If you look at the state crime rates, uh, Somerset's below the average, right. Hmm. But, but when you dig a little deeper, there are reasons for that. There are some political reasons, um, With the sheriff's department, supposedly, you know, Hmm. Um, so not not necessarily the current one, but definitely prior administrations. Some stories that I've heard in terms of nine one one reporting and things, um, just just for election purposes. But when you actually look at the newspaper articles and the stories here in Somerset, it's. Insane the the murders the um the the violence that's been enacted by people and, and honestly that's how I ended up sort of falling into the path of of the podcast was that I, I was driving home one day uh, from work and I came around uh, the circle in the center of town and there were all these people with these signs up towards city hall that said you know you did it and so when I got home I. I was talking to my neighbor and I, I asked her, I said, you know, what, who are those people? You know, what were they protesting? And she said, um, you know, those are the family members and the friends of uh, Linda and Cody, uh, these two individuals, she was 21. um, And he was her, uh, I think four and a half year old half brother um, that were murdered violently in 1994 uh, here. And it's an unsolved mystery. Uh, Dateline came in 2019 and did a special about it. But the story that was told to me, you know, this sensational story from my neighbor was about a cult here in town that involved people in power. You know, just the sort of thing you hear in small towns, you know, like, oh, these rich people are doing all this nefarious stuff. And I, you know, I didn't really pay any mind to it, but it was interesting to me that this was. Such a, a specific part of the folklore, you know, and yeah. and that's really why I started looking into this. I started looking at you know is any, is there any truth to this? Which ultimately I found out that the story that I was hearing from all these people was actually three different murders that had been blended mm. together. Right? Mm. Didn't make the three murders any less strange, you know, right? right. So that, but people were definitely you know merging those things together, but. You know, as I was looking at all this and and gathering stories about that, stories, you know, from the town, lots of UFO sightings, lots of cryptid sightings, um, just lots of strange things and a strange history of things. Um, And so I really wondered, is it this place because of the anomaly, right? Because of Mm -hmm. of the Kentucky anomaly, is this place affecting these people, right? But then also there's this level of how much are these people Affecting this place so that it has these stories and has this perception, right? And, and that's really what mm-hmm. Penny Royal became. It was, you know, the the tagline of the podcast is the magic and mystery of place, right? And so it's you know how a place affects people, how the people affect the place, and how folklore emerges out of that, you know. And that and that was really the jumping off point for me, really, just to do a podcast about Somerset and Pulaski County, the Penny Royal. Um, you know, the Penny Royal region at the Penny Royal plateau is, um, you know, there's the Eastern Kentucky Appalachian mountains. So Mm -hmm. stretching westward from, from there to, uh, right around where Mammoth cave is, Mm -hmm. uh, Hopkinsville, the Hopkinsville goblins, Edgar Casey. These are all, um, events and individuals that were, um, that occurred here on the Penny Royal and, Definitely, Mammoth Cave, you know, is a mm-hmm. is a major feature of Kentucky. It stretches, you know, all the way eastward uh, beneath the state. And this region, it's it's known for uh, karst geology, so it's a lot of caves, lots of sinkholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Pulaski County, we have the Sloans Valley Cave System, and it's the 14th largest in the U.S. And so, people come from all over the world to to explore those caves. So. There's, oh, and, and there are all these famous UFO cases. There's the um, uh, Stanford abductions, which are up in the area where you went to college. You know, the, the yeah. three women that yeah. were abducted, you know, in the 70s. You know, that's just like 30 miles north, north of here. And, you know, obviously Kentucky's famous for the Mantell case, um, you know, and that's just, you know, south of Fort Knox. You know that the, mm-hmm. the, the guy chased the UFO, so um, and and is the only fatality you know that we know of. But you know, it's it's just when I started looking into the region, it was just so fascinating. All of these things I was finding. The podcast ultimately though went from that to us. You know, a friend of mine is a PhD folklorist, and I've asked her a lot of questions about um, you know because I'm not a folklorist, but I love to collect folklore. You know about, about you know what she thinks about all this and she said, Well, you know, you've kind of crossed the line because as the story went along, as you del de- you know, dove deeper into uh what this was and what Somerset is and, and the Penny Royal, you became part of the story. And you know, and that's you know, there were a lot of like weird things that, <laughs> that ultimately happened. And so then it just it became something else. I, I'm I'm not sure what it is, you know. I mean it's it's definitely been you know, it started off documenting the folklore and the history of the town, and then it became documenting how we were, our relationship, I guess, with this region and how it was defining us, and how it's in some strange way we were affecting this place and finding things that people would have never ever remembered or, or even thought about that it's sort of beyond belief you know the Guterma stuff which which I'll you know I'll talk about a little bit but just things that it's just incredible it's like the more we dug into this place the more magic it, it seemed you know the more the more mysterious it was but but there was this weird element that needed our involvement in it right it needed our actual touch on it um, that seemed to come into play. So I don't know. It's it's just been a it's been a strange thing. It's been really beautiful and really wondrous. I feel like a kid again. You know, especially the the high of discovering some of these things. Um, we just discovered two months ago a whole new thing that's in the second season, which I am now I'm getting documents from the Australian government of from their security agency. Which again, we've had all these people that are that have jumped in online. And have been helping us, so I, I get these emails, and they're like, "Hey, you were talking about this guy. The Canadian government has these security files. Here is the link. It's one hundred and sixty-five dollars. They'll send them to you." You know, um, <laughs> I filed all these FOIA requests, and you know, I, I ended up getting sixteen hundred pages on one individual I found here from the FBI, and it's been a, a rabbit hole of of just. And that's that's not even the paranormal stuff, you know. That's just this. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just the weird. It's like, why are all of these things that we found uh, that are part of this story and a part of this history? Why do they cluster here? And and really, that's what that's what the podcast has become. Become is is understanding that that phenomena, whether it's something paranormal or if it's something that's just uh, you know a feature of the way the world works in sort of a mysterious way, you know.
1: Yeah, I like the questions you're asking with um uh, um the podcast as well, especially and we'll talk a little bit more about the quartz aspect and stuff which has kind of been a newer thing to come up um out of stuff lately and um you've had uh, Greg Newkirk on the show. Of course, he ran through Somerset and in Hillier and he and uh, Dana brought up a lot of good points about uh, the cave systems, which I was very fascinated to learn that, you know, how far they ran up through New England even, wasn't it? it yeah. Like it stretches mm-hmm. all up through there. And then uh, and then the quartz aspect. Those were the two things I think I took out of Hellier that I, I really liked the most. I'd like to talk more about the the quartz, but I, I'm also curious as to did the podcast uh, idea to kind of relate all the information that you've researched and found out, did that come out of the research or was it kind of in tandem as you were going along? You were like, you know what, this is a story I'm going to have to tell, you know, as soon as you started looking into it.
2: Yeah. I, th- I mean, it definitely, it was in tandem. Everything's sort of gone that way. I, you know, I thought I was just going to you know, do a fun podcast about all the weird stories here in town, you know? And, and then, <laughs> yeah. and, and then the research, it's just, it's one of the things. it's, it's hard to, to, to describe how much it it interrelates and, and how much the research was going in tandem as we discovered more and more stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, even the intersection with, you know, the Newkirks, you know, with Greg and Dana, that was such an unexpected thing. You know, here I am, I was researching a lot of the, uh, you know, obviously the paranormal stuff, but also the cult stuff, just because, you ke- I kept hearing it and, I, you know, and, and there's no cult here, you know, there's no, there's nothing like that, but, um, but definitely there's a belief in it. You know, there's the people here in town and, and it does sort of arise out of the satanic panic for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a symptom that this is a very religious part of uh, the United States, especially of Kentucky.
1: Oh uh, yeah, but and and in the podcast you go into details of satanic rituals and blood sacrifice and and right. virgin sacrifice, you know things like that, and yeah, yeah. There's all kinds. Of, that's that's the creepiest part to me. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that was the part that I wanted to handle with the most care because you know we interviewed. Because you didn't want them coming and getting you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, true, true. Well, I will. I will say that. Uh, well. So in in the thir- the third episode is really where we, we interview a woman named Pamela um, mm-hmm. who who had these uh, experiences. I, you know, whether or not those things really happened to her the way she says something, some trauma happened to her, right? And it either manifested okay. into those stories or, or yeah. you know, maybe you know, maybe something happened. But regardless of that, you know. I I at that, you know, at one point was just like, you know, this is just too, it's too crazy. It's too stereotypical. You know, it's just, it's hitting all those, those points of the satanic panic. And I was like, uh, you know, I just don't think so. But then when Greg and Dana came or when Greg, Greg was here in town um, with part of the crew and they knew Kyle Cadell, um, who runs the Par- uh, international paranormal museum here in town, um, great friend of mine and obviously is on the podcast, you know, as one of the producers. Um, So they had known him from these conventions and they were, they were here in town and we didn't know they were shooting part for the show. You know, they were here in town and obviously they do a lot of stuff. They wanted to hear some stories from him and they said, does anybody else have any stories? And ultimately he was like, yeah, you should talk to Nathan. He's been researching this weird stuff here in town. So, you know, they got in contact with me. We met up at my studio. We, uh did the interview and you know i told them the stories you know the weird the weird stories you know the flying manta rays yeah. the, the ufo's right. you know black dogs you know dogmen all that stuff the fun stuff right and sure. uh, yeah and then they were like well so what do you think's going on you know what, what's happening i said well let me tell you about the, the the darker stuff the crime stuff right and so i told them you know about the cult and some of these things that people were saying and that's when their whole tone changed, and that it comes across in the show that you know they're in town because some woman emailed them about a cult you know here in town, and we talked about it. they told me what the email said they didn't tell me what her name was or anything, and a- after they left, I actually was afraid that I'd gotten us involved in something that might put my family in danger I mean for real, I mean for a minute, right. I was like well if <laughs> I had dismissed all this, and now these people are telling me they that someone has contacted people from out of the state to come here yeah. to you know to rescue them. And I thought, could there be something going on? You know, um, and and I really did tell the boys, you know, I told Darian and Darian West, the other producer, and, and Kyle Cadell, you know, maybe we should just chill out for a bit. You know, because what? Are, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, what if? What you if never they, know. You never know. You know, it's like why would these people drove down here you know to to look into this and I thought you know I, I don't know So then they left and obviously we ended up um, carrying on with with our investigation but the biggest thing that came out of it was you know two things that I'll, that I'll point out that I think are interesting. One, after they left, we went back to Pamela, who had told us about these rituals that were happening, and that she was in this cult from the late 1960s as a child, you know. And all these people, you know, were flying into town from, you know, it was an international cult of, you know, people pra- practicing the black arts. And as I got deeper into producing the show, once we got closer to the production date, they, they, all the QAnon stuff went bonkers. On you know, mm. uh, and I was really terrified that QAnon would seize on this story and think that this had you know what I mean because I was like this is not anything to do with that you know these are like right yeah the know, child
1: the child uh, uh, pornography yeah, yeah. and the pedophilia and, all and the that pa- powerful crap,
2: uh, people you know and I'm like but these are yeah. you know two towns over I heard people telling the same story about their politicians their law enforcement mm. you know all these people are involved in a cult you know um, so. Yeah. Is it part of, is it something ingrained in sort of Southern culture? Maybe even after the mm. satanic panic, you know, I don't know, but, um, class warfare, you know, who knows, but, uh, uh
1: there's all, there's a lot of factors in there. Yeah. Like religious, political, educational, probably plays a big deal. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so, you know, we went back to her and I, and I said, um, well, Kyle was the one that was talking to her and he said, um, where did this happen at? Right. Like where do these rituals happen? And she told us, and this is the thing, it's like, whether or not anything she says is true or not, what she did tell us was that these things were happening at the Mount Victory Mine, the Mount Victory Coal Mine. And so, you know, Kyle calls me and he's like, she says it's happened at this place. Well, I Google it, literally just type in, because I didn't think there were any coal mines here in Pulaski County, you know, Eastern Kentucky. It's a little
1: little far west to be,
2: yeah. And so I look it up and sure enough, first, like if you Google it right now, Mount Victory Coal Company, like four or five down is the article about this guy named Alexander Guterma, who the New York Times refers to as Mr. X. Because no one knows where he where he came from, they don't know his real history. He just shows up in America from the Philippines in 1951. And within six months, he's the richest, one of the richest men in America. Right by not, by 1959, he perpetrates the largest stock fraud in U.S. history. He uh, at one point Back when it mattered, right? Yeah, right. At, at one point he was the uh, the CEO of 28 different companies. You know that was a, a record at the time, and uh, he was involved in uh, the overthrow of the Dominican Republic of uh, Trujillo. Um, they they caught him for that as as a foreign agent. Um, he told everyone he was Russian, but uh, – and that his, his family – he was the son of a Russian general in the um, Russian Revolution, and that, that his family had escaped to China And that he had ended up in the Philippines and was running a casino there, right? But he also shows up in 1945 in Hawaii as a radio repair operator, and the OSS snabs him. And and (laughs) so then you're like, is he an intelligence agent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of researchers, not a lot, this guy's very obscure, but a few researchers that have even looked into this guy, believe that he was part of the Galen organization. You know, everybody knows paperclip project paperclip, right? That we sure. brought all these German scientists over. We well, also brought German spies and German intelligence agents. And that was the Galen mm. organization. Um, so there's this belief that because he was caught in the Pacific theater, that he's an ABwehr agent. A lot of them worked at radio repair shops. Right. Hmm. So, and, and also it explains why he never went to prison for any of these crimes, right? He, and he was tied to these mobsters, um, to uh, uh, Marcello, um, and to, um, God, what's the other guy's name? Anyway, the, the, these mobsters that, that started the Desert Inn in Las Vegas, it's the first place that Frank Sinatra ever sang. And they had the penthouse, or at the top of the place, they would have cocktail, atomic cocktail parties. And watch the nuclear bombs being tested, right? So he was one of the owners there, and huh. but, but yeah, some of these mobsters, you know, um, some of them show up in Kentucky too, Northern Kentucky in the seventies, which again he's he's connected to all this stuff. But he ultimately gets named as a co-conspirator in the JFK assassination, also um, <laughs> as as an associate of DeMora and Schulte. Right. Um, if anybody's familiar with the, the whole JFK um, web work, you know, George de <laughs> and Schilt is a major figure. Right. Um, he's named in the gemstone file, all this stuff. Well, in 1970, this is the article, you know, the first thing that pulls up when you Google this guy in 1975, he bought the Mount Victory coal mine here in Somerset, Kentucky and moved his entire financial empire to Somerset. Right. And he was he bought the mine from this infamous attorney named Lester Burns, Jr. And he he has a book written about him. It's called Dark and Bloody Ground, where he he was involved in this crazy crime, this these crazy murders. But he owned the mine and his business partner was S- Vice President Spiro Agnew. Nixon's <laughs> vice president. And and he got in trouble for owning this mine and selling it because they used money from Nixon's re-election campaign, right? Mm. And so it's like here's this woman telling me that there is uh, an international group, this, you know, coming here and performing these rituals. And uh, it's at the Mount Victory Coal mine, and it's owned by this international man of mystery, Mr. X right it's just it was it was one of those things where i'm like is there something to what she's saying you know I, again there's no cult here but it's like this is beyond bizarre you know yeah yeah he's he's rubbing elbows with
1: uh, uh some pretty highfalutin folks not exactly above board but they're highfalutin in their own way <laughs> yeah
2: yeah but the thing about gitarma though is you know he he moves his entire financial empire here he buys this mine from from these already sort of infamous figures, right? And then he's here for two years from 1975 to 1977. In 77, he's flying from um, – he had a, a home in Florida also. So he's flying from Boca Raton to New York City to go to the circus at Madison Square Gardens. And he diverts the plane to Somerset, Kentucky for some reason. We don't know why, Right. And then he flies on and the plane crashes and it kills him and his entire family, except for one of his kids who dies in a plane crash eight years later. Right. And there's a belief that he was assassinated uh and he died the same week that DeMorn Schelt was supposed to testify in front of of the Senate committee on assassinations, but shot himself. So there's I have a newspaper article uh that's front page. It's Guterma's plane crash and DeMorenchelt's suicide on the same Saturday paper of what had happened that week. I mean it's crazy, wow. you know? So it's yeah. like, why did that guy why did that guy end up in Somerset? Right? Where all this other weird stuff's yeah. going on. Um Do you know
1: uh, sorry to interrupt, but do you, do you know was the mine working at that time? Was it a working mine?
2: It was a working mine, but it never produced any coal. But it was purchased <laughs> for fifteen million dollars. But it never produced any coal, right?
1: That's the so, uh, the that, that, the cleanest money you've ever seen came out of that mine. I would
2: think, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Um, Richard Spence, who is uh, uh, in the in the first season, um, he's the author of uh, Secret Agent Six 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 about Aleister Crowley. Um, he uh, he also wrote um, the Empire of the Will series, which is is definitely. Um, a, a big part or an influence on some of the research. Um, he wrote it with Walter Bosley, which some people may know. Um, but Richard is uh, Richard Spence is a professor at university of Idaho, specializes in espionage and the occult and a lot of stuff like that. And so he, you know, at one point he suggested, well, could they have been dumping radioactive material? You know, like why, what, what were they doing at this mine? And, and it is currently, just the most blighted part of this county. I mean when you go there they have these uh, distilling ponds they've set up to try to curb the pollution but it has hmm. absolutely polluted the, um, the the water table here um, and but man it's if you look at the map right of the Kentucky anomaly, This, this, and so it centers on Pulaski County, right? But the Mm -hmm. actual two peaks of the anomaly one is in the southern part of Pulaski County, um, in an area near, um, uh, this this that's called Keno, where there are a lot of weird sightings. But the other spike is right on the edge of the National, uh, the Daniel Boone National Forest, and it's exactly where this mine is. And Hmm. see, that's exactly where the mine is. Like a half a mile from where uh, the Hellier crew did their did their ritual to pan,
1: right? Oh, okay, yeah.
2: And so that was the other thing I was going to point out. So the of thing is really, really, really strange. But the other thing, whether or not you know, whether or not you believe the Hellier stuff, right? You know, well, no matter what you believe about sure. that, the strangest thing for me was that I was working on a film project with this artist named Dan Dutton, very famous artist, Kentucky artist, um, who had d- he did all these dance operas, but he's a painter, sculptor, but uh, very famous for, for the Secret Commonwealth uh, uh, four-part um, opera series. And he had created a, uh, an opera called The Fawn about Pan. And while he was working on it, he had been hired by a, Kentucky's tourism department to, to do a travel log. And so he decided to go to, to Elkhorn City in eastern Kentucky, where Brakes Interstate Park is. And so on his trip there, when he, when he went, he had this incredible experience where he believes that he encountered the archetype of Pan, right? And this is back in 2008 that this occurred. Okay. And so one afternoon, he tells me this incredible story where he, f- he was in Elkhorn City at this restaurant called the uh, uh, Greasy... Or what's, I forget what the name of his right now, but anyway, this is the, um, the Greasy Fork. But there was a guy named Johnny there, and he said he had this whole experience with them. And, and it's the fourth episode in, in the podcast, but it, it was such a significant experience, such a strange story. I told him we've got to make this into a film, right? We've got to go back to Breaks Interstate Park... In Elkhorn City, and we've got to restage your opera there, right, with new actors, and let's see if we can invoke Pan—not in any paranormal way, right, or occult way, but in this like artistic way. He had this experience, you know, this this sort of, uh, um, you know, not—it wasn't even—he would even consider it a paranormal experience, right? It was just this mm-hmm. this weird peak experience, and so, you know, we were working on that film. The Hellier, you know, crew comes through here. You know, I meet them. I tell them stories. They tell us the stuff about the cult. Well, we don't really talk about it anymore until the show comes out, right? And the day that Hellier was released, I see that the episode that I'm in, in uh, the eighth episode, is called "The Secret Commonwealth," which obviously is a reference to the book written by. Um, Whatever his name is, uh, Robert Kirk, uh, about fairies in the 1700s, right? But it also was the name of Dan's four part opera series, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we see that the, the final, the finale of the show is Night of Pan, which I didn't know that the show was even going to have anything to do with Pan, right? And then it ends up in, <laughs> involving, uh, you know, William, William Grimstead, Uh, the book, The Rebirth of Pan, that's a whole other story. Get into this um, James Shelby Downard mythos, right? You get in this, this book, Jim Brandon is the pen name, but William Grimstead actually is a very controversial figure. You know, uh, he's a a Holocaust denier, right? And so that calls into question this whole, the the whole pan research, which is a big part of the second season of Penny Roll. We dig deep into where this all comes from, but so it freaked me out that it was called the night of pan. And so much of the show involved pan. And then at the end, they tried to do a ritual to invoke pan here in Somerset. Right. Well, yeah. The, the, I texted Greg and I was like, dude, this is what Dan Dutton and I, this artist are working on. And we were going to Elkhorn city to invoke pan. And he said, I'm looking, he texted me back. He's like, I'm looking at my evidence wall and I have pictures of Dan Dutton on here. And I didn't know he's on the, <laughs> the show because I didn't know where he fit, you know? Yeah. And and I was like, well, this is strange. See, Elkhorn City, Hellyer is a suburb of Elkhorn City,
1: right? I just pulled it up on the map, yeah.
2: So it's Dan and I were going to Elkhorn City to perform, you know, to restage his opera to invoke Pan. And the Hellyer crew ends up coming to Somerset from Hellyer to... Invoke Pan, and I was like, there's something strange in all of this, just in that, right? It, no matter anything else, that's a really weird series of synchronicities, right? It's just it's just odd, and that's on top of like all the other weird stuff that's, that's been happening. You know, it's like the cult stuff, we find the Gaterma, um, all of the weird sightings that people were having. Ultimately, we found that there was an experimental mental health facility here. Called Oakwood, uh, that's in the seventh episode. It opened in 1973. A lot of this stuff centered in the mid 70s, right? And yeah. there was a, a mental health facility that opened. That it was the end of the Vietnam War. Mental health in America was, you know, people really it was bad. You know, the people were not being treated well, and so they decided to open this uh, mental health facility here. Uh, in Somerset. It was actually supposed to be in the desert out west. And so the buildings, the architecture of the buildings, they're, they're buried under the ground for for high-speed winds on a flat plane, right? But yeah. they, they kept the design. I, once I started digging into the research of how this place came about. So the place looks totally crazy. They hired a really famous artist who's designed most of the uh, biggest corporate logos, um, Malcolm Greer, and um, uh, who teaches in Rhode Island right now, but he ended up getting the bid to design the look of the place. And it turns out this is his hometown. He didn't even know it. Right. So <laughs> they used this like experimental art, experimental techniques. They had all of the people living in cottages in groups. Right. And so I kept, uh, the place opens up and within six weeks of it opening up. And, and I think the TV show was called nightline. It was like ABC or NBC had a nightline show. Mm -hmm. So they sent this TV crew here to film and to show, look, look, this place is going to change. You know, mental health in America has turned a corner. You know, it's it's changed. Mm. And so they come, they film for a few days and leave within six weeks of this place opening. And it's run by the state of Kentucky at this time. Now it's private. But at the time, it was Kentucky. Within six weeks, there's an anonymous letter sent to the governor of Kentucky, the mayor of this town, the head of the state police, the sheriff here in town, alleging that there is a witch cult. And, and there are numerous newspaper articles about this. You know, it's, This is what's so amazing. So they send the, the state health commissioner here to address this letter. And it had all these things. But the letter accused this place of having a witch cult. That was performing magical rituals in the tunnels beneath the facility on the third shift, and that they were performing seances and summonings, and that they were burning occult symbols into the backs of some of the residents, right? Mm. So the, hell, the state descends on this place. And the guy that was over it was, uh, he also never dressed in a suit or professionally, he wore a sari. And had this braided beard. So we believe there are connections to the Esalen Institute uh, with some of the stuff, some of the West Coast um, research at the time in the 70s. But that's another whole thing that we're tracking down. So they fire everybody and they hire a whole new staff. Well, the son of one of those of of the guy that took over as the director, he ends up becoming um, a really well-known radio DJ here in town. Uh, rod zimmerman but he also becomes the town historian right and so a lot of the stuff that i was getting was from rod so he tells me you know i I found all the stuff about oakwood and i'm asking him about it. he's like that was my stepfather he was the director and he was like i can confirm i saw all the files and there were numerous you know people were found dead there are so many crazy stories attached to this place right it, it sounds like
1: the classic nightmare mental institute that you, like, don't want to come across or get sent to. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, yeah. But but it didn't look like a mental institution. It's like they had these cottages with 12 people in each cottage. So it was like 24 of them, Right. Sounds like communism to me. <laughs> These you know, damn communists, you know. It hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, if, you, if anybody wants to pull up, if you look up Oakwood Mental Health Facility, Somerset, Kentucky or Oakwood, on Google Maps, right? You will see that the shape of this thing is this crazy sigil, right? It is the weirdest shaped place. So, so it has these cottages. You know, they're telling me about this. He tells me that most of the cottages like all but one cottage was low functioning uh residents right um that were mentally handicapped the one of the cottages was reserved for savants like ultra Mm. high functioning uh residents right yeah so he tells me this and i'm like all right you know that's interesting and i am uh Talking to Dan Dutton, you know, where Dan and I are, are working on the Fawn film, right? And I, I I had just found some research about the Oakwood King, right? This whole story about Pan as the Oakwood King. And um, we were talking about it, and I said, Oakwood. And he said, Well, I've got an Oakwood story for you. And so he proceeds to tell me that there was a caretaker at Oakwood, and this is in 79. Um, a few years later, that said that she was taking care of a cottage of savants, that there were nine of them, and that they were inhabited by extra dimensional intelligences that were trying to communicate with humanity and save us, right? And he was like, You're, you know, you're crazy. <laughs> like, you, you know, you've been doing too much LSD, right? <laughs> um, and so she kept trying to convince him to go to Oakwood and paint with these uh, savants. And he was like, no way, no way. And he didn't drive at the time, you know. So finally he acquiesces and says, I'll do it. You know, like, fine. So they send a car, they pick him up, they take him over there. She's not there, but some other woman is. She takes him back to this cottage. And he says he sees these people crawling in the grass on their hands and knees, eating popcorn out of the grass like horses, right? (laughs) And he says that's the last memory he has. And then two hours later, he's being driven back to his farm, okay? Mm. And there were these nine individuals. And as he's telling me this this too, part of Dan's art is – about memory palaces and about, about memory. And, and he has, he prides himself on his memory, you know? And so as he's recounting the story to me, I can see the look of terror on his face and and he realizes he can't remember what happened, that his memory's blocked, that that's the, because he hasn't thought back to that day in years, you know, and, and just in our conversation, did, did, you know, did I provoke him even thinking about it? But he tells me, that day, that afternoon, when he got back to when they took him back to his studio, was the day that he received all the inspiration for the Secret Commonwealth, the Fawn, the Stone Man, all of these works that would eventually come that have influenced really what we're working on, what he's working on, came from that day. And so you, so I was like. It it was such a weird thing to hear him say that because I'm like here's another strange element of this story you know I mean I don't know if people are familiar with the story of the nine or Puharich you know and Yuri Geller there's a whole mythos of of contact with these nine extra dimensional into alien intelligences that that uh, that are part of the JFK assassination all this it's a crazy batshit crazy story right. But it was weird that that here was someone telling me there were nine individuals with these intelligence. He wouldn't tell me who the woman was that was the caretaker. I've since found out who she is. And it just was one of those stories that, you know, I didn't tell him anything that Rod Zimmerman had told me. But here Rod, the historian, his dad, you know, stepfather was the director. He's telling me that these savants were there in 73. Right. And then Dan's telling me there's this lady saying they're there in 79. So then we end up tracking them to 81. And then after 81, they're gone. Hmm. But all of them all at once, this cottage, well, just that, that, that cottage was done away with. Uh, they were moved from the facility. So now all, the entire facility is, uh, low functioning residents, um, with their assisted care.
1: Do you know if any, if they found any of these sigils on any of these people, is there proof of that?
2: So, they the files I filed a FOIA request with the state of Kentucky. I haven't received anything yet. Obviously, a lot of the stuff I found out going into COVID. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. So, so, um, things have you know, I don't know. We'll see if we get the they've never released the letter, um, that yeah. actually uh, provoked this whole situation. Um, I'll send you some of the articles because they're crazy, like the actual newspaper articles about this. It was a huge scandal. Um, and weird. It's just, you know, we know what the letter says because the health commissioner went point by point in response to the allegations. So that's where huh. we know, like, there were no symbols burned into the <laughs> to, to the residence or, you know, like each of the things, you know, like, oh, there were not, uh, you know, people were not performing spells in the tunnels underneath, you know. So we know that each of those things were, uh, you know, alleged. But, you know, I've interviewed tons of people that have since worked at Oakwood. And the stories are crazy. I mean, the place itself is just rife with weirdness. You know, it's just another, yeah. you know, here we are in, in Pulaski County, you know, and it's like, have all the cult stuff. We have all the, you know, the weird encounters that Dan has had, you know, the, they've had meat falls mm-hmm. in Kentucky. There's the famous uh, Olympia spring shower. shower. Right. But in talking to Dan, out on Highway 39, where a lot of things have centered, a lot of strange experiences uh, and encounters, there are stories from the 1920s and 1930s of frog falls, of fish falls, and and we talked about the fact that why are those things not reported now? You know, why are we we're finding reports of these things? Um, you know reports of corn with strange languages written on the leaves of the corn, <laughs> and that's in the in the new. So those things are in the newspaper, and I actually have the the rubbings in the newspaper articles. And I think it's Ogam. I'm not sure. Yeah. But but again, it's Dr- like druidic. Yeah, right. and like Celtic, uh, Celtic, yeah. And so uh, I kept the more that I dug into the newspaper articles, the more that I interviewed older people. The more that I gathered these stories together, it was like there was just layer after layer of strangeness. And then you've got this cult story. You've got the weirdness of the whole pan thing and hell you're coming through. Uh, the Keterma stuff was really weird. And then the, and then on top of all of that, we find the the stuff about Oakwood. You know, and and then we and also you haven't
1: even mentioned meteor stuff. Which oh yeah. was the first episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There's the meteor stuff. Plus, there's the tunnels underneath the town. We found there's tons of these mystery tunnels, which are just uh, just utterly strange. You know, it's Have like you've been in them. So we've been too chicken to go. <laughs> we had one. We had access to one. Um, one of the guys I interviewed, uh, the actual guy that, that did the soundtrack for the first season, uh-huh. uh, he's also he's um, uh, Phil. He has been in one of them. They're part of the uh, civil defense, oh. the nuclear tunnels, right? So there were six locations downtown that these things connected to a, a, a larger sort of space. Uh, one was in the uh, a school downtown. They also had a radio station that was underground in case of emergency. Um, but see, these crisscross with Civil War tunnels, which were built, and... Um, hmm that were part of the Underground Railroad. So that was a whole other aspect of the story. And then there was another series of tunnels that there are all these newspaper articles about mystery tunnels that when they were building a bank downtown, they found. And Rod Zimmerman, the historian, he had been in those tunnels. And he said they were laid out intricately in a rounded ceiling, right? And um, no one knew what they were for. And there they was just this strange, um, you know, of course, people said Freemasons because they were so nicely um, built. But, you know, I, I don't think, you know, there's no Freemason conspiracy here. It's the old boys network. You know, it was a lot of people that knew each other and were in the bank together. And, and definitely the town is laid out off of the cornerstone of the, of the lodge. It's one of the oldest lodges in America. It's Lodge 111. And 111 is a really special number for the Freemasons. It's a left, a left, a left. You know, it's the three columns. It's the guardian of the gate is what it means too, right? And so you throw all this into a cauldron of weirdness. It's like, what's (laughs) what's going on here in Somerset? You know, I mean, that was the biggest thing for me. It was like, what is this? You know? Yeah. And then after the show came out, all these weird signs popped up in town. That that said, um, and there were witnesses, there were seven signs in total, and they were one was posted outside of our studio, and it's right across from the sheriff's department, but they saw this woman come and put it up, and then two men, and they put these signs around town talking about that this town is a cult, the cyber terrorists have taken over. Um, uh, you know, they mentioned Sammy Catron, um, Lester Burns, which I mentioned, and see this Sammy Catron figure was this larger than life sheriff who flew a helicopter around. They even had toy, toy helicopters at the grocery stores that you could put 25 (laughs) cents in. that kids could ride. There's one for sale down at the, um, the uh, antique mall. Right. Which my (laughs) wife's like, you can't buy that. That's too morbid, Nathan. Right. But, but they have one of them. It's so weird, but he flew this helicopter around and he was at a, he, the murders I mentioned, which kind of led me down this whole rabbit hole. He was a part of that, and there have always been allegations that he was involved, you know. And that he's part of this cult and stuff. Well, a few years after those murders, he was assassinated at a fish fry while putting two apple pies on the top of his patrol car. A, a sniper blew his head off. Right. Wow. And so that's that's been covered in numerous documentaries on court TV. It's like one of the most famous killings of a of a, a, a law enforcement in America, right? And so you have this like King like figure and and that sent me down this whole rabbit hole of a killing of the King ritual, right. Which ties into all of Richard Spence and some of these people's research. But um, it just was, it was like what? all of, all of these weird things that kept popping up and, and his patrol car number was 111. 111. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a member of the Freemasons. Right. So, so it's like, you know, no, I don't think anything's going on, but at the same time, it's undeniable that something weird is or magical, or I don't know what how you describe it, you know, I mean, yeah, I
1: mean awful lot of coincidence to be uh coincidence
2: <laughs> right, right. As, as
1: no one says and,
2: and that's the, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and 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 that's the thing is you know, is it paranormal, you know, definitely people have had a lot of experiences here, I've catalogued hundreds of stories, but and I keep finding stuff, but the other stuff, it's the, it's the Guterma stuff. Um, you know, in the second season, you know, we've discovered just recently um, all the stuff about an ex CIA contractor named Charles Hayes, who, and I just filed a four year request for this, who was involved in, if people are familiar with the Danny Castellaro. Uh, case. I don't know if you've done a show to cover that. Or I'm anything. not. No, um, he was a famous or not famous, but he was, he became famous after his death, but he was a journalist who was um, tracking down a conspiracy that he called promise or the called the octopus. And it centered on a, a, a software called promise P P-R-O-M-I-S. um, R O M I S ultra famous conspiracy theory because he wound up dead in a hotel in uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia when he was interviewing an IRS agent to try, because he believed there was this government within the government, right? Well, Hmm. um, the promise software is totally real. There was a court case about it. The company that built the promise software, um, uh, the CIA had used them to sell the software to all these governments around the world, all these municipalities, they put a back door in, right? And they were, anytime anyone installed it on their system, the CIA was, Hoovering it all up, right? Hmm. And so they decided not to pay Inslaw the last six million dollars they owed them in law suit. Well, Danny Casalero researched all this and 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 was interviewing all these people, and he ends up dead. Um, he was writing this book called The Octopus. They end up publishing it, Farrell House did. Um, Jim Keith, but it, and I always knew about that story. It's just one of those like crazy classic conspiracy theories. But then I found out that the person he was talking to that had given him all the information was from Pulaski County, was here in, in <laughs> Somerset, right? And it turned out that guy was involved in the largest gemstone seizure by the U.S. Customs in U.S. history. In 1985, um, he was brought $20 million of gemstones from Brazil that he had been paid for the Promise software, right? And it's this crazy saga of a guy who says that he was the leader of a group of ex contractors that built a Cray supercomputer in the back of a semi, and they were driving it around Pulaski County. So the X-Files, there's an episode, if you're an X-Files fan, where there's a supercomputer in the back of a semi. It's where they introduce the lone gunman characters, right? And that's based on. Charles Hayes, this guy, hears statements, right? And he said they were using this promise software to hack senators and corrupt politicians' bank accounts, find that they were being paid off, and then sending them a manila envelope saying, here's evidence against you, you have 24 hours to resign, right? And, and at the time the, the time he says that they did this, it was the largest number of resignations of U.S. senators, over 60. Right. Wow. So I find this rabbit. I mean, there are thousands of articles about this guy. Right. This is like a major. It's another Mr. X. Right. And I'm like, Hit. so I find Guterma, and now we found this Chuck Hayes guy. And, and the more that we dig into the town, the more I find these strange things. It's like, what are the things that we don't know about? You know, like, <laughs> what, what, you know, what's what, still out there? What is all of this? You know, so it, it's just been fascinating looking at the folklore, looking at the history, but also it's been a rush finding these things and finding all of these mysteries. And then just wondering, you know, like, you know, why is it all happening here? Is it a crossroads? But, you know, the, the ultimate point of Penny Royal, the, the real thrust of the project was. Wherever you live, wherever anybody lives, you should start looking at that place because you're going to find things like this. You know, you're going to find, you're going to, if you think you live in the most boring place in America, right, you don't. Because if you dig a little deeper, <laughs> you're going to find out it may be the most interesting place in America. And, that, and that's what I hope people take away from the podcast is that they can find magic and mystery wherever they are, wherever they live, you know?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, it's a great uh, example of that for sure. Um, it just sounds like the, the craziest thing about it probably to me is not only that there are so many stories concentrated in Pulaski County, but that they all seem sort of connected in a way which that you don't usually get, you know, you might find the, the crime, the murders, the stuff over here. Maybe you'll see some, you know, UFO sightings or cryptid sightings over here or like cult stuff or, uh, espionage or conspiracy or something. But this just seems to like keep bouncing off of each other and playing off of each other, which is very fascinating and fun. And, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a hard sell with a lot of this stuff in if stuff truly is, Connected or if it is just a huge coincidence for stuff, or if there's interpretations that are you know very liberal in in a lot of ways but um i mean there's there's so much stuff with this that's very fun uh i one question I had why pan out of all the deities and, uh, and mythologies of the world, why this minor Greek god that's has come up uh recently as this all powerful evil kind of entity in a way <laughs>
2: <laughs> so this is I crazy. guess it's a, a million dollar question right <laughs> uh, no I mean I mean it's it's one of the it's one of the most interesting things from the second season De- definitely in the when this all began you know and and, and really with Dan too and then Hellyer brought the pan stuff up and I'm like I was saying the same thing I'm like why why is pan, what's what's the deal with pan being involved in this you know this doesn't make any sense yeah and so um for a long time, I didn't understand why. Um, definitely in terms of Dan and why Pan is a part of it, it's a it's a deeper connection to who Dan is and what his work is, right? It's more of an organic thing. You know, I'm, I, I know why Pan is a part of that. Now, why Pan is a part of that and it's intersected with this other stuff is a whole other thing, right? But I do know that what we started to find and what is a major focus of the second season is that there are a number of, this is going to sound crazy, but a number of ultra right-wing fascist elements that infiltrated the Fordian communities. Right. Um,
1: I can believe it
2: in the 1980s. Right. Um, so you've got Adam Parfrey's Feral house that published a lot of this stuff. Um, and I'm not saying Adam Parfrey was a fascist, but he definitely was connected to, um, people like, well, I mean, he published the Downer material, this, the William Grimstead, right? The Jim Brandon that wrote uh, the Rebirth of Pan that figures into Hellier, right? So that guy wrote all this Holocaust and, you know, Holocaust denying stuff. He was tied to Willis Carto, who ran the Liberty Lobby, right? Uh, Liberty Lobby was a uh, huge Holocaust deniers. Um, you know, they're, they're tied into... Um, uh, rockwell the guy that ran the neo-nazis you know it's 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 this crazy element of mystic nazism that mm. came that came over and so they were using fordian and paranormal stuff to try to get people who were already on the fringe in you know they were recruiting right okay um, and and so once you start to follow these genealogies of how this that, and that, that's what became so fascinating to me was like why, like, why is all of this stuff, why is it involved pan? Well, you find out that, um, and, and, and I can't take credit for this because uh, Sergio Stevenson, uh, one of the hosts of Conspiranormal, um, sent me, um, he would researched some of this stuff. He and I are, and a, a few other people are James Shelby Downard researchers been trying to find whether or not this particular individual who's this grand old man, this mythic figure of conspiracy theory, the whole synchro mysticism and mystical toponymy and all this stuff, he was racist and he was invented by these neo-Nazis, right? (laughs) He was a real person, but they co-opted this guy who was probably schizophrenic and Mm. built this myth around him, right? And they published his works and, you know, all these books. And so all these people today, even with the Hillier stuff, you know, people are like, synchromysticism, you know, and synchronicities and the magic of synchronicities, right? And I saw a blue balloon, you know, and it's it's this thing, right? That all comes from James Shelby Downard, which is a front for these really racist ideas, right? So, so Surfiel had found an article in Amazing Stories by a woman uh, who was writing as a man. And that article was about... Pan, as the basically the great white pre-Indian spirit of America, right? That that Pan Pan was right. It was this the spirit that inhabited America. It's like Pan went to Mormonism. <laughs> yes, no, no, this is, no, Mormonism is connected to this, right? <laughs> right No, I swear to God, I swear, that when you trace what, where this started, right, and trace it through all of these people, this is what I try to do in the second season is walk everybody through, like, where we go back and kind of see how this, this all came about. Because there's this, they mentioned Votan, right, V-O-T-A-N, sure. as this um, white god, demigod, that came to the Americas and the Mayans influenced the Mayans, right? So, Votan is is connected to Pan. That actually it was Pan, and when you look at the Votan stuff, you find out that Edgar Casey was the, the one this comes from. He says that there was vote that Votan and this group of um, Arcturians from Saturn or no, from Arturius uh influenced America but he, but they keep mentioning votan right well the white supremacists and these neo-nazis connect Wotan oh, to yeah. Wotan right which is Odin oh yeah and then you've got young's art you know young's essay Wotan which Hitler read which is one of the basis you know of modern Nazism and the world War II was young's essay. Mm -hmm. you know the god of war odin and so all of that factors back into this so you have these guys writing these books about how and and it even goes back to the confederacy right there was a a a book uh written called the dreadful rights of god what was the full title i can't remember right now but he this this particular i think it was a preacher believed that before the indians White people were here, right? So, the so the idea is, the idea is, because because a lot of Southerners had a problem with exterminating the Native Americans, right? And this guy was like, "Don't, no, no, you were here before they were, right? This is, you know, this is your, wow. you know, there were white gods here, and you are just reclaiming your homeland." And so Ugh. they started to clothe that story in this idea of Votan and Pan. And so then you have this this guy, William Grimstead, writing this book, The Rebirth of Pan, about a this spirit of America of the wild, you know, and and it all stems from these ideas about Wotan and Votan. And it's a weird thing that now, you know, the reason I, I wanted to focus on it in the second season is, you know, so many people are in, in the paranormal community now in the 40 movement Are talking about these concepts, but they don't realize where they came from, right? And they don't realize that they're espousing things that have some pretty racist that you know that that they don't need to be. So it's like, how do we reclaim those narratives, right? Because Mm -hmm. you know, I I do think there's something to synchro mysticism, right? I mean, look at look at what I found here in Pulaski County. You know, it's like there is a magic in the way things correlate, right? And I think that's worth studying, but we have to be careful about the foundational, you know, air quotes, uh, people that we're basing those ideas on, you know, that that we're, that we're regurgitating things that were being used to recruit people and are still being re- used to recruit fringe people. To be part of these extreme and look at the QAnon shit. They've adopted yep. all of this, you know. Look how yep. dangerous that is. And and I think it's dangerous for the the mainstream. I know it's weird to say mainstream paranormal, but in the 40 and you know, people that are into high strangeness, that are into the para weird, right? We have to be careful, you know, about the things we love being tainted by these ideas and and being co-opted by QAnon. And, and so that was the biggest part of the second season was, you know, how do we include more diverse voices? How do we tell this story? How do we make people aware that there is magic here, but we've got to reclaim the magic. We've got to take control of it and make sure that these narratives are not false narratives. They're not dangerous narratives that we're, Having fun with, you know, it's fun to pursue these things and think about these things, but there's a dangerous element and that's the extremist element. And we've got to be aware of where they come from. And, and and for me, that was important to, to try to highlight that in the second season, because I feel like in the first season, I was so excited to tell all these stories. And then I, I didn't really think what could happen after i tell these stories what could people take away from this you know that sure that sure. i might lose control of the narrative and i think we all face that right now of losing control of the narrative you know
1: yeah it's very very easy to these days i it's it's very fascinating to hear that once again it all comes back to nazi shit <laughs> and just we like scooby doo the the villain and pulled the mask off oh it's fascism again and it would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you damn kids going out there and kicking all this quartz around. I want to talk about the quartz by the way. What's the deal? I know you you had mentioned the piezoelectric effect and um electromagnetism and stuff. What has been done in terms of uh, study on what quartz does to people? Have there has there been anything that that indicates it changes people's personalities or it affects people's
2: mental state or
1: anything like that?
2: Um, ma- mainly the studies, um, when we first got into the research, the studies focused on uh, piezoelectric effects and the focused on geo geomag- intense geomagnetic fields that affected people caused uh, increases in depression. There were a lot of studies in Japan. Um, so I think there were studies in Spain, you can find these if you Google you know like geomagnetic uh, effect or magnetic effect on uh, the human brain. A lot of those studies then looked at the quartz to see if there was a piezoelectric effect occurring, right? Um, so that those were the first things that we looked at was were studies like that. and and they did uh, it was increased psychosis was one of the things huh. that that was was part of it. Um, and obviously the increased depression, suicide. Uh, were were effects he, here in Pulaski County? It mental illness is rampant, right? I mean the the, the mental health industry here in Pulaski County is is gigantic. Um, some people that I that worked at Eastern State Asylum, which is in Lexington, it's the I think it's the largest asylum in the state of Kentucky. So if it, you know they take people from all over the state to get shipped to Eastern State. I, it might be closed now, but. um but at the time, I've, I've interviewed two different people who worked there, and they both, when they they, they were from Pulaski County, and they were living in Lexington, and they, they worked there. And when they mentioned that they were from Pulaski County, the doctors and the nurses are like, what's in the water in Pulaski County? Because in the 2000s, um, late 1990s, early 2000s, over 70% of the people in Eastern State were from Pulaski County. It was this incredible number, and they were like, "What's what's going on down there? You know, like what's is is there something literally affecting people in the environment that's causing this to happen?" I thought that was weird. You know, it was one of those like strange things to hear while we were researching this. And then it just emboldened me to think: Is there something to the either the quartz, the geomagnetic anomalies? Now, since then, I have once the show came out, I've received. A lot of tips from people, a lot of articles. Um, I think it's Western. It's a university in Georgia. They actually are studying the effect of quartz and geomagnetism on um, people's sense of time, um, and a lot of other weird things. Um, uh, people sent me some papers on that. So,
1: do you have the those names or papers? Would, would I'll, be I'll, willing to share?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you some of the stuff that that, uh, that we pulled. Um, I can't think of all of it off the top of my head. Sure, <laughs> because, sure. Yeah. But but, uh, but I'll, d- I'll send you the early stuff we found about all of the, the psychosis and the suicide, and then some of the recent papers that people have sent me. Some of it gets kind of weird. I mean, people. <laughs> there are some some researchers in Georgia that that were looking into this also believe this creates time anomalies. Right. So, all right, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Chestnut. You're getting a little bit into the more woo woo stuff for me. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's people, You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? But still, still something that some people are looking into. How old are the pipes? <laughs> no shit. Right. Uh, but you know, there, there are a lot of weird, uh, you know, not to get too esoteric, but there are a lot of weird parts of the story you know, because of the weird synchronicities that seem to involve time, you know, in a weird way, just, just like even the stuff with Dan in 1979 and that affecting things now, you know, and there, there was another thing that we found, which is very strange is that there was a group of uh, ceremonial magicians in Cincinnati called the bait cabal. Um, They're a very famous uh, order, uh, group that were part of the, uh, OTO, you know, the Aleister mm-hmm. Crowley stuff. And, um, they would come, they came originally from New York city. Um, they met a woman named Nima, uh, Maggie Ingalls, uh, who lived in Ohio and they formed the bank They started publishing something called the Cincinnati journal of ceremonial magic. Uh, it became a very famous worldwide famous, um, journal. They were, and this will sound crazy. <laughs> They were focused on this idea of um, there was a lot of Kenneth Grant's research. You know, Kenneth Grant was the secretary for Aleister Crowley, and so he had sort of a darker, sort of look, uh, you know, perspective on on some of the magic. And they, this group, the Bakerball, believed that there were these entities, extra dimensional entities called the Old Ones, very like Cthulhu, you know, Lovecraftian kind of stuff, and that they were trying to get back into our dimension and destroy humanity, right? And so they were performing these. Um, their magic focused on time magic and vortex magic, right? And so what we found out was that these groups in the Bakeball were coming to Pulaski County to the area near Mount Victory in that mine area, and performing time magic rituals hmm. to stop these entities from destroying our world, supposedly, mm. right? Hmm. And so I, so I ended up getting, I've collected all of the journals. And this is a very real thing. they The symbol of the of the order was the bee and the vulture. And in near where the mine is, there is a structure that was built in the 1970s, still there, and it was called the beehive. And I've interviewed numerous people that live in that area. And they talk about through the seventies and the eighties, these groups that were coming down and standing in circles naked at this place and do it saying are They thought they were Satanists, right? They also didn't realize they were skyclad, <laughs> you know, that they were naked, you know, the skyclad. <laughs> sure. But, but the fact that it was the beehive and, and we've interviewed a lot of people. So it's so, so then you've got another element. It's like, why were these magical groups coming here right and performing rituals in that area where the kentucky anomaly is so intense right like there was a natural geomagnetic anomaly in the place that ritual magicians were trying to perform these rituals and then even on you know to throw hell your back in the mix You know, they talk about this green man cult, right? Which sounds absolutely batshit, right? Like a green man cult here in Pulaski County. Well, I find out through once I start digging into all this stuff that there was a group called the Guadonic Order. They were founded in, I think it was 1952 um, in San Francisco. In 2004, this group, the Guadonic Order, they're Welsh magicians. They worship Sunernos, the horned god, the green man, right? Two thousand four. Guess where they moved their international headquarters to? Somerset, Somerset. Kentucky. Right. <laughs> so, so then you are wondering: this lady that contacted the Hillier Group, did she know someone that was part of this group? You know, I, I don't think there was, you know, some child sacrifice and green man cult here. But it's weird how the stories of the reality of it, right, has blended together to create this this weirdness. You know, even the elevator that they talk about in Hillier. In the cabin, right? Turns out that that is a real elevator. And my next door neighbor that told me those stories that started me down this journey, when I mentioned the elevator, they were like, that's our great uncle's cabin. And it's a medical lift in the bathroom. And it does go down into the caves underneath. They used it for convalescence. And we ended up finding the whole thing, right? And the woman that contacted them broke into that cabin. Right. So it's like there was an elevator. She did see an elevator. It wasn't an elevator into some dungeon. It was a medical lift for this old couple that used to own the place. Right. Hmm. Now, you know, and she, you know, there was a green man cult here. You know, there is a green, you know, there were magicians traveling to Somerset for some weird reason. There were weird intelligence agents here for some weird reason and and so it's like what, what you know i think everybody should look at the place they live because you're going to find interesting things i do however believe that somerset is weirder than anybody else's place <laughs> right <laughs> they're like where do you live this is probably a little weird yeah i'd be willing to believe that too <laughs> it's cuz it's, it's just like it's incredible i swear to god i i'm still We're moving the, the release date of the, I was going to release it in September the 21st. We're moving it because I found so much more stuff that has to go in there because it's so incredible. It's like, you know, that's the story. It's the story of us discovering all of this and, and and trying to figure out how it, you know, like you said, it kind of all connects you know what I mean? In a weird way, it's like, mm-hmm. but you don't want to see paradoxia. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to see connections where there are no connections, but it's undeniable that all of these things are stacking together in one place. And even if they're all not connected, it's still connected to the place, which means there is something about this place that's different in some mysterious way. You know, it is different than anywhere else. You know,
1: what was the most surprising thing you found out of the first season?
2: The, the Guttermas stuff. Yeah, the Guttermas stuff, man. And 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 when I did the FOIA request, and the FBI sent me sixteen hundred and sixty-two pages, I was like, oh my god! I mean, that's an insane FBI file, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And and I still haven't got the CIA stuff, which is so far none of my FOIA requests have been successful with the CIA but the FBI had produced stuff. Um, I joined Muckrock, which I recommend if anybody's into, I mean, it's just fun to to file these FOIA requests. Muckrock.com for 20 bucks a month, you can file three a month, but you can pay more and, and file as many as you want. They automate everything, right? They even like provide the language for you. And so it's easy to, to fire off these requests and, and find out about people that live in your town, you know, and you know, I'm now <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find the Chuck Hayes stuff, right. I'm waiting on, yeah. on those documents. Um, and like I said, a, a, a member of our Patreon, the liminal lodge, um, they sent me a message saying, you know, they're in Australia and, and they had found there's a connection with these white supremacists. And we ended up receiving some really strange documents after the first season came out. Um, that scared the shit out of me, like totally scared me because they, they do look like intelligence documents. Uh, Darian, uh, West, who's the, uh, one of the other producers, he and I do a lot of data mining with clients that we do data mining for. And someone gave like heard about this stuff that we were researching, heard about our Guterma research and then gave us these documents and said, Hey, could you data mine these and see, see what the connection is here. And we got them in a lot of the stuff in the documents related to what we were researching. Right. And they, even the, there's a, uh, a, a parapolitical researcher named, uh, Steven Snyder. He goes by the name recluse. He has his own podcast, the farm. Um, I'd found this article connecting a lot of this white supremacy, Nazi stuff in Kentucky, uh, to a group called the sovereign order of St. John. Um, the, Whole crazy rabbit hole. Um, but when we got these documents, a lot of that stuff was in there, and Steven Snyder was in the documents. And the, the documents involve gold certificates and the transfer of gold from the Philippines, Yamashita's gold, to the US, then to Europe, and then into Saudi Arabian gold. But it all involves Willis Cardo, the Liberty Lobby. All of these Nazi guys, it involves the people that published the Rebirth of Pan, right? And then it involves this this guy, I won't say his name on here, who was an, a CIA agent in Australia. And that's when someone sent me a thing saying, I, I found his file. You know, I, I, hit, I sent this to the, the Australian government. People have already requested this guy's file. It's ready to be sent to you. It's $165. Here's the link. Right. Hmm. So those documents, you know, what are we going to find there that ties into all of this? Because, you know, that's that's the other thing. It's like, why did we get those documents? You know, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's just another weird element. All of this Um, gold kept popping up as a motif, gold certificates. They're tied to the whole uh, the guy that wrote the Rebirth of Pan did the James Shelby Downard stuff. It's there's just. This recurring theme of gold certificates from the Philippines, and then Guterma is from the Philippines, right? You know, and these like weird connections. Is, is there something there? And Richard Spence, the the espionage, um, you know, the historian professor, you know, we asked him about this, and he was like, "It sounds like a an intelligence operation," you know. But it's like, why would anyone even give? You know, why would they care what we were doing? You know, um, yeah. I, I, I have since thought. That, that whole Chuck Hayes stuff and the promise software, right? Um, the the guy that was selling that software. I've wondered because he, I think he's still alive. I can't find that he died. He would be 86 years old. He would still be in the County. I wondered if, cause they don't know how many copies of the software he made. Oh. And, I'm, and so I've wondered, Darian was the one that brought this up. He said, what if they think that we talk to him? And that when we were talking about our data, Darian developed a data mining software, right? They don't know that. We were just saying we had this software to data mine, financial accounts, names, places. What if someone thought, you know, we're doing all these interviews, right? We're talking about all this stuff. What if someone thought that he gave us a copy of the promise software? And because of that, suddenly someone shows up and says, hey, could you data mine these? I heard you talking about the Mm. Philippines, you know, and then we get them and it's like, they're wanting to see what, what we produce to see if we have access to that software. You know, um, <laughs> the, the government raided his farm in 1992. He, he was supposedly, a, Chuck Hayes was supposedly a junk dealer. They're like, he's not a CIA agent. He's a redneck junk dealer. And so he ended up with this software from a government op- auction and uh, from Lexington that they hadn't erased the promise software from. So the U.S. government said, give it back. And he said, no, I bought it. It's mine. So then they were like, "If you don't give it back, we're going to arrest you." And he was like, "You can't. I bought it fair and square. You didn't erase it." So then the FBI raids his farm. They take the computers back. They erase them. Give them back to them. He sues them. They paid eight hundred thousand in restitution. Like these are all newspaper articles about all this stuff, right? So like, and then he ended up being called to testify in Chicago at the Inslaw case. And they were like, this guy doesn't know anything. He's a uh, Kentucky junk dealer. And he said, my CIA name was Chuck Lawson. Here's my CIA number. And then he opened his mouth to testify, and they enacted the National Security Act. And no one knows what he testified to. So so there's this guy living here in Somerset, Kentucky, with uh, these connections to all these really famous intelligence cases. And the Castellero stuff, the octopus. And and it's like, is it possible that that you know, so, yeah, a lot of people have messaged me saying, is there a connection between Guterma and Chuck Hayes? Um, Chuck Hayes was arrested for arms dealing in 1975, the same year that Guterma shows up. Hayes is arrested selling rocket launchers here in Pulaski County. Rocket <laughs> launchers, right? So it's it's like, you know, that outside of all the paranormal stuff, it's like why you know? Why is this an element to this story? But is it the anomaly? Is it what is it that's attracting all of these insane narrative threads into one physical place? You know, like mm-hmm. to me, that's the biggest mystery. You know, like whether it's paranormal or not paranormal or some feature of reality or I don't know. I mean, are we causing it by telling the story? You, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, yeah. I, I don't know, but it's to me, that's what this is. For me, it's that's been that journey of trying to understand why we keep finding these things, why why these things exist here. And dude, it's it's like the craziest adventure.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it really seems that way. And this is this is not the uh, Chuck Hayes that played for
2: UK, right? Yeah. This so, is <laughs> so, so so so. If you Google Chuck Hayes and then CIA you're going to find an a different <laughs> oh, dude, the rabbit hole of links, right? Um, and it connects to a guy named Jay Orland-Grabby who may have inv- may have invented Bitcoin with Chuck Hayes in Pulaski County. There's, <laughs> and that's not even my research, right? That's someone else's research that I came across. And I was mm. like, I'm like, what's this? This is crazy, you know? And um, this whole, I, it, it's nuts, dude. It, it, it really is. I don't know, but definitely there's a there's a heavy right wing Nazi element that's. that's I I did not
1: expect that. That's.
2: I did not (laughs) expect. I should have expected it, but (laughs) the Nazis, the Nazis enter the picture. Should have
1: expected the Nazis. Always expect Nazis. Well, Nathan, this is uh, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I, I do encourage everyone. It's uh, an eight-part series called the Penny Royal Podcast. Just search Penny Royal. Of course, Nathan, you can tell us uh, all the different places you know people can go for it and stuff. But I really did uh, enjoy listening to it. We've talked for about an hour and a half now, and there's no shortage of stories that we could talk about. There's stuff that you haven't even mentioned in this conversation that was in the podcast, uh, season one anyway. And, um, it's just, like you said, it, it's a huge rabbit hole that is in the middle of Pulaski County, Kentucky. And I encourage people to, uh, to check it out and have fun just listening to the stories. There's some good history, that lawyer guy you were talking about, there's some good stories about him in there and it's very fascinating. So, uh, Nathan, where can people find this stuff?
2: Um, yeah, so, we, you know, obviously we've got our website, uh, com, but yeah, we're on, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh. Spotify. I love it. I love the way it looks on Spotify. I think it's, you know, the, the, the colors and all the artwork as well. Um, but yeah, every major platform you can listen to the podcast and we've got a Patreon, the liminal lodge, uh, where if anybody's interested in helping us parse through all this research, we found a lot of documents, um, um, and, and really like every week. I'm discussing with them, you know, we do a live stream every week and we talk about everything we found the prior week, you know, and, and all of this stuff. And so, again, a lot of the leads that I've gotten in the second season have come from people that were in the lodge. I mean, stuff that I didn't have access to that I didn't even think to look at the Chuck Hayes stuff, right? Someone actually said, have you looked at Chuck Hayes? And they joined the lodge and created a Facebook account just to send us that message, you know, and it's like, you know and then uh, boom it was a whole other rabbit hole so yeah check us out um uh, if anybody's interested in helping or just kind of being a part of the the whole mystery um you know hop on patreon we love the support um listen to the podcast uh the second season like i said i've changed the i was originally going to re- release it uh September 21st but it's probably going to be a little bit closer to the end of the year uh, i'm going to do an official date you know post that but really waiting on these documents. You know, there's a lot of stuff that, that I really want my hands on before I fire this off, you know? So, uh, but they're what man, There's so many people we've interviewed for the second season. And a lot of people that a lot of authors, a lot of people that, that everybody will be familiar with in the paranormal community. So, um, that I, that I wanted to know what their opinions were, but like, what the hell is this man? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Uh, But yeah, just check it out, and hopefully everybody uh, enjoys it.
1: Excellent. I've been speaking with Nathan Isaac, the host and writer of the Penny Royal Podcast. Nathan, thanks again for coming on Blurry Photos. I appreciate it.
2: Man, thank you so much for having me on here. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks again to Nathan for speaking with me today. I think I, like him and his crew am left with more questions than we started with, certainly more questions than answers. He's uncovered some fascinating stuff, and I look forward to Season 2 of the show. I'd like to thank Patrick for the kind words recently, and thanks to Madison for writing in. I'd also like to send my condolences to Cindy, and thank you for writing in as well. Don't forget to follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to support, don't hesitate to dropkick that donate button or buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash blurryphotos. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash blurryphotos and follow me on twitch.tv slash blurryphotos, all of which can be found on blurryphotos.org. My last collection of the Living Among Bigfoot series by Tom Lyons is now available on Audible, so check that out. And if you like general trivia or play pub quizzes, trivial pursuits, or are prepping for Jeopardy, check out my other podcast, Quiz Quiz Bang Bang, available on all podcast platforms and at quizbangpod.com. That'll do it for this episode of Blurry Photos. I've been David Penny Floral. Don't stop blurry even.